Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, bringing you a solo edition of the podcast today. You can also check out the video version on the Establish the Run YouTube channel. And I'm going to start looking at my best ball manifesto that has been written on Establish the Run. It's free for everyone. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's basically me diving into Underdog Fantasy's Best Ball Mania 3 contest from last year and trying to parse out the strategies that worked, didn't work, why they worked. And in particular, I look at stacking, I look at ADP value, the importance of having live players in your roster come playoff time. I look at roster construction, positional allocation, and then at the end, even kind of modeled out the best teams based on all of these factors to give us like, hey, if we just had the information at the time of the draft, could we kind of predict how strong of a team this is for Best Ball Mania 3? So that was a lot of fun. It's up on the site. I'm sharing a screen right now. If you're watching of the article, I'm going to take a look at ADP value in particular today. But over you know the course of the next few weeks, I'll go through all this on the podcast. And the goal of the podcast version is to, you know, for people who don't want to read it, give you kind of a quick inversion in audio format, but also to talk through the application a little bit. Because you know, what I showed in my manifesto article essentially was what worked last year on the whole. And, you know, it's heavily shaped by individual player performances and also last year's particular landscape. So I think it's mega important to understand what worked the previous season and why to really give us a high level understanding of the game. But that doesn't mean that's what's going to work in the future. You know, it's equally as important to not blindly take, you know, the things I'm going to say like, oh, two quarterbacks was the most optimal last year. You don't want to blindly force fit that into every team you're constructing for best ball mania four for a few reasons. One, you know, the reason that happened last year could be because of outlier performances from someone like Jalen Hurts. Uh, the other reason is ADPs change. QBs are, for example, already going much earlier in best ball mania four than they did in best ball mania three. That's going to change the equation. You better believe that it will. So, you know, the, the way other drafters are acting, you know, the actual players that we like and where they're ranked, it's all different. So, if we have a really firm understanding of what actually happened and why, I do think it helps us take into account these changes and hopefully draft, you know, really smart teams for Best Ball Mania 4. And I was really optimistic writing this article that, like, if you're just pulling a few levers and being pretty smart, you know, the overall makeup of your teams, it's not that hard to make teams that are really honestly massively plus EV, like 25 plus 50% EV. Now, in a contest like Best Ball Mania 4, it's going to be really difficult to actually realize your expected value because it's so high variant, but you can have a lot of fun along the way and really feel like you're getting your money in good. Um, but yeah, there's also things we you know always can't measure. You know, I looked at this stuff last year, you know, broke down stacks, for example, and you know, I had to come up with a generic definition of stacks. But you know, if you're drafting in Justin Fields, what you should do stacking is going to be different if you drafted like Tom Brady last year, who's a statue at quarterback. The correlations are different and how you should build stacks is different. So I did kind of a one size fits all approach to some of these things, didn't necessarily take into account the cost of the stacks, the value of them. Um, so that's just one example. Like you can dig even deeper. And if you critically think about this, What's crazy is like I'm already parsing out a lot of really plus EV strategies, and there's probably even more plus EV if you apply a little bit more critical thought to it. But today's episode going to focus on ADP value. Um, that's essentially you know when you're drafting your teams, the pick that you get players at compared to where they're drafted on average, and we're going to look at closing line value and real time ADP value. 
Closing line value is pretty simple. If I take uh, Jamar Chase at pick three right now, today is May 10th. If I take him on May 10th and when this contest closes, let's say sometime early September, he's going, you know, pick six. I've lost three picks of ADP value there. You know, the closing line value is minus three. It's, you know, where I took him minus where his final average draft position ended up. And the ADP that underdog uses is previous two day average. They churn out so many drafts that they get such a huge sample that that number works out for them. So it can change kind of quickly. Um, but yeah, it gives us a good measure and real time ADPs even with the ADP you actually see in the draft room. So if I'm drafting right now and I'll actually pull up a draft that I have going on a slow draft, but you can see, I took Geno Smith at pick 100. His ADP is pick 108. I actually lost eight spots of ADP value with that pick. So that's what we're talking about when we mean ADP value. And this chart that I have pulled up in the video version, and I'll talk about it verbally, shows that it's really important to get closing line ADP value. And I, in my article, split up basically by every 10th percentile teams in terms of how much ADP value you got. So if you're in the first bucket of ADP value, that means you got more ADP value in your drafts than 90% of the other teams. You're in the top 10th percentile. Conversely, if you were in bucket 10, that means you're in the bottom 10th percentile in terms of ADP value. That means you lost a lot of ADP value. 90% of the teams out there got more ADP value uh, than you did across all of your picks. And you can see the expected value on closing line ADP alone is, is pretty nuts. Uh, the team, a team in bucket one, so that top 10 percentile, would have an expected value of around $35 uh, for just for um, for reference standpoint, like neutral is somewhere around $22. It's basically your $25 entry fee minus the rake that they're taking. So it's somewhere around $22. So that's like a 50% increase in your expected value, which is pretty wild. And then teams in bucket 10 had an expected value of only like $10. So now we're looking at about a 50% decrease in expected value. So it's pretty crazy that the expected value of your team can swing so much simply by how much closing line ADP value you're getting. And to explain the expected value number a little bit more, the way I derived that was you look at your odds of advancing out of the regular season, then your odds of advancing out of the quarterfinals, then the semifinals, and then the finals, and you apply the payout structure. I did not apply the payout structure exact as it was because it was a lot of work. I kind of assumed that if you lost in a round, you got the average payout of all of the losers, which is not perfect, but it helped us do a quick and dirty EV. So you can see value bucket one in terms of closing line ADP. These teams had a 51% increase in odds uh, to win their regular season ad advance to be top two out of 12. So that's huge. You know, um, your base rate of advancing is like 16.7% top two out of 12 on randomness. So these teams are advancing more like 24, 25% of the time out of, um, out of the regular season. And then you can kind of see how that affects, you know, these teams also were more likely to advance in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and more likely to win a finals type event, a 470 person field. So that, so we see that closing line ADP value is super important. And I also looked at, again at the real time ADP value. And what I was surprised to see, you know, I think it's kind of obvious that closing line ADP value is important. If you're taking players 
in June, whose ADP rises three rounds, you know, good chance that either their stock improved in a meaningful way or the market just matured and got a more accurate ranking on those players come September. And that means that you've just drafted a really, really strong team, a team that you wouldn't be able to draft towards the end of the season. Um, it makes sense that those teams would do well. I was surprised how well teams did in terms of real-time ADP value. So just ADP value at the time of their draft. It's not that far off from closing line ADP value. And that's a good thing for us because that's something we have a lot more control over. Like we can kind of take a guess over which players will rise or not in terms of, of closing line value. But uh, we know for sure what the ADP of the players is at the time that we're drafting. And you can see here, there's two sides to this chart. There's ADP value and draft capital value. Do you want to take a second here just to explain you know, what the heck is draft capital value? ADP value is what I explained earlier, which is like super simply, it's just if you took the pick of the player minus what their ADP is, that's, that's your value more or less. So you get a player with an ADP of five at pick 10, you gain five spots of ADP value. What draft capital does is I basically use the data from best ball mania three to assign a value to each pick because we know it doesn't scale linearly. So um, an ADP value, what you're looking at, you know, going from pick 10 to pick 20 is the same as going from pick 180 to pick 190. In reality, we know getting 10 spots of ADP value from pick 10 to 20 is worth a lot more than getting 10 spots from picks 180 to 190. That's like not worth much at all. So draft capital value accounts for that. And you can see that it's a little bit more accurate. The expected value is higher for teams in the first couple of buckets and it's lower from teams in the bottom two buckets because it is a more accurate estimation of the strength of your team. So with that said, um, kind of want to know like why, so how is this expected value being changed? So there's some charts up here, but you can see that overall you're seeing an improvement across the board in real-time ADP value uh, based on the bucket you're in. In fact, if you're in any of the top five buckets in in, in real-time draft capital value, you've increased your odds of advancing out of the regular season. And it decreases with each bucket you're in. You know, bucket one's the highest, bucket five's the lowest, but it's such a clear trend. It's crazy how clear the trend is, uh, which, you know, when you do this cohort analysis, gives you some confidence that it is important. And overall, what you're seeing is about a 25, 28% increase if you're in the regular season advance rate if you're in the first two buckets, so a top 20% team in terms of real-time um, draft capital value, you're increasing your odds of winning in the quarters and the semifinals, like five to 6%. And then in the finals, you know, almost, you know, 10 to 15%. So it, the impact is felt largest in the regular season, but it's, it's felt in the playoffs as well, which I think a lot of people are like, okay, ADP value is good for advancing, but it doesn't matter for the playoffs. And my response to that is one, it does matter in the playoffs. It's it was a clear positive correlation to your draft capital value and your success in the playoffs. And two, I think sometimes advance rate gets discounted a little bit because the idea is like, okay, these are top heavy price structures. All that matters is that we have a good chance to win once we get to the playoffs, but you can't just chop off that part of the expected value equation. Your odds of getting to the playoffs in the first place dramatically impact your odds of winning the whole thing, even if it's 
lower odds of winning once you do actually get there. You need to think about it correctly. And the way I looked at this was basically a 25% increase in your regular season advance rate is equivalent to a 100% increase in odds of winning the final. So it has a you know huge impact on your expected value. So that, that's how it changed based on ADP. So kind of what you're probably asking now is a couple of questions. How do I actually use this in my draft? And that's a really good one. And let, let's start with closing line value. So there's a couple of things with closing line value that we can do. I think there are some things that are kind of obvious, but um, higher variance players you want to target. And this can include handcuff running backs. So handcuff running backs or backup running backs in general, they just have ability to jump multiple rounds in ADP from drafting early to the close of the contest because the job and the role and the expected volume they have so important. So Cam Akers goes down a couple years ago. Daryl Henderson jumps in and his ADP goes from, you know, rounds 10 to like round six. Like it's a huge jump. That's a massive jump. You generally don't see that quite as frequently at other positions with injuries because they're more talent driven. You know, if you see an injury to a wide receiver one, the wide receiver twos might not jump four rounds, probably going to jump, but it happens more with running backs. Um, uncertain situations in general. I know last year, Chris Godwin was someone we were on early because we felt pretty good about his health. And we knew like as the season approached and the health reports got better, his ADP was going to improve. And, and we saw that. So if you drafted him early, you had a really good chance of getting some ADP value. This year, there was a lot of uncertainty around Joe Mixon, you know, even just a week or two ago with some off the field stuff. And we've already seen his ADP go from like the 80s to the 50s. And it could close at, you know, even around third ADP if Cincinnati enters the season with their backfield as currently constructed and no issues with, with Joe Mixon. So I think that was a good one to take a shot on. Javante Williams is an uncertain one. I'm not in on Javante, but if you think people are overly concerned with the injury risk there, you know, you think he goes in round seven at the, at the end of the, the off season and he's starting to slip now more to like round nine, that's one you can take advantage of. Then there's, there's of course, just players that you think are like the market's missing something on. Um, so I had one today. I tweeted about DJ Moore. I think that one's going to go the other way. I think his ADP is going to drop quite a bit from where it is now, but there's a few spots where you might just be so off from the market. You can kind of figure like where the market's going to go. And like, you know, I think the market sharper at this point this year than it was at this point last year, like last year, there were guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Amon Ross St. Brown. We just kind of knew we were going to get closing line value on those guys. And we did um, this year. I don't have as much confidence on some of those pieces, but there's always some steam candidates. Anthony Richardson's one. Um, the rookies in general, like Damian Pierce was one. Ramondre Stevenson, just, you know, some of these guys that you think could improve if, if the camp news is positive and good. doesn't mean you have to draft them now if you think they're poor values in general, but that's the way you want to think through it. Do you want to talk about rookies in general? Because that's usually a spot where you can get closing line value is with rookies. But this year it really seems like the market's in on the rookies, despite the fact that we had, like, like if you're a dynasty player, you know, this wasn't one of the better draft classes we've had in recent years. So I don't know if there's a ton of meat on the bone in terms of drafting the rookies now, but historically those guys have kind of closed or they've been good gambles. You know, some of them are going to fall off like 
Isaiah Spiller, Tyrion Davis Price last year, but some of them are going to increase a lot like Damian Pierce did last year. And kind of the idea if you're drafting early is you're willing to take those gambles because it's more important that you draft a really good team that could potentially have a top 10%, top 20% ADP value than it is that you drop like a middle of the pack team. So that's some ways you can do it. I also looked like slow drafts versus fast drafts. And uh, I've got a chart up here, but basically says if you looked at drafts by month and you looked at the top kind of four ADP value buckets, where you would expect, how many of those you would expect to be in each bucket based on the percentage of slow drafts. So for example, in August, slow drafts represented 3.4% of all teams, but they represented 3.7% of all teams with an ADP value bucket of one. So um, in August, slow drafts in jet were basically the same as fast drafts in terms of your odds of getting a top, you know, one or two ADP value bucket team. If you look at May, June, and July, you do start to see a dip in terms of uh, your odds of getting closing line ADP value of that very top bucket, bucket one. So fast drafts earlier in the season, a little bit more beneficial in slow drafts, but it's not a huge, you know, stark contrast that I think a lot of people make it out to be. But fast drafts certainly give you a slightly better chance of getting in that top 10% ADP bucket. The other thing I looked at was uh, draft month. And as you would expect, the more variance there is early, the more likely that you're going to have one of those teams that has a ton of closing line ADP value. I mean, it's pretty simple. If you're drafting at the end of August, there's just not a lot of time for that information to change in a way where your team is going to get a huge gain in closing line ADP value. Uh, whereas if you draft in May, there it's, it's very high variance. Like your odds of drafting a really bad team are higher, but like that hinges your odds of drafting a really good team are higher. And we care more about the odds of drafting a really good team because the middle of the pack team doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot for us in the type of contest that we're trying to win. I kind of like July and early August as my sweet spot. I'll do another podcast on number of live players, but uh, basically the earlier you draft, the more likely you are to have dead players come playoff time, come the start of the season. And that really just hurts your team. There's not a lot you can do to control that other than we have more information, less time for injuries, better idea of you know the back end roster and how that's going to be filled out later in the off season. So uh, July is sort of a good break even point where we get a little bit more of that information than we have in May and June. Um, but it's still early enough that we can take some swings to maybe get a ton of closing line. ADP value. Now, in terms of like real-time ADP value, uh, one thing I want to point out that I think seems super, it seems super obvious in hindsight to me, but it was kind of an aha moment for me. Um, but like, it's very correlated to closing line ADP value, real-time ADP value. And I think sometimes it might be easy to think if you're drafting in June and it's early, Say, well, I don't care about the real-time ADP value because this running back that I'm taking, you know, two rounds ahead of ADP, I think he might close four rounds higher than he is now. And I mean, gain two rounds of closing nine ADP value. That might be the case. But if you take that running back at ADP value and you're right, now you've got four rounds of closing around ADP value. So like those, those numbers are like, you just increase your ceiling of closing line ADP value by having a lot of real-time ADP value in the first place. I know it's something that 
I don't, maybe it's just so dumb and so obvious to, to everyone out there. But for me, like I did have to stop and think about that a little bit and it did affect, you know, sort of the way I approach things. Um, so you're not only getting that real-time ADP value at the time of your draft, whenever it occurs, but you've increased your ceiling potential on getting closing line ADP value by getting guys at good prices within the, the draft in the first place. Um, the other thing is you don't want to just compare to pick number. So when I'm in a draft, I'll pull up my draft room that I'm in again now. But if I'm looking, so I'm up now in a draft, I'm up next, it'll be pick 148. So I think there's a tendency to look at your selection of potential players that you're going to take and just say, okay, um, DJ Chark has an ADP of 150. That's pretty close to pick 148. That's not bad ADP value. Um, But sometimes you've got to compare between other players too. So let's say I'm at pick 148 and there's a player there with an ADP of 140 and a player there with an ADP of 160. The player with an ADP of 160 might not look too bad relative to pick 148. You're losing a round of ADP value, not too bad at this point in the draft. And that player at pick at ADP of 140 might look like, you know, he's an okay value at pick 148, but nothing crazy. But, you know, if it's the same position now we're, you know, we shouldn't just be comparing to pick to pick 148 where we're picking, but the ADPs of the two players. So really it should be ADP of 140 versus ADP of 160. Now we're at 20 spots of ADP value. If you pick one wide receiver over the other there and, Um, I try to think of it that way a little bit because I think you can talk yourself sometimes into taking some worse ADP guys if you're only comparing to your pick number, not comparing across all the options that you have. So that's something to do. Another important thing is like ETR value. So these ranks that I have up right now, you know, the players that are available to draft, they're ranked by established the runs um, values that I heavily contribute to and our whole team works on. I do want to note that these rankings bake in ADP about like 25, 20, like 20% of the way. So they're not our completely raw rankings. If you look at our half PPR rankings on site, those are completely raw and not adjusted for ADP at all. We adjust for ADP for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, just, you know, respect for the market, which is basically what we're seeing in those high EV numbers. If you have a lot of ADP value is that the market's pretty good. And if you just follow the market, um, you get a lot of value you're going to have a pretty good team as long as you construct it. So we want to have some respect for the market. That's one reason. Another reason is we want to be too deviated from the market in terms of positional stuff. Like you can see our QB ranks aren't totally aligned with the, the, you know, the market at QB. And at a certain point, even if you're right, if you're too far detached from the market, you get frozen out of a position, you're not going to have a good team. So that's part of the reason we bake it in. And another reason is like, we're trying to build super teams again, you know, going back to that example, if I'm up at at pick 148 and there's two wide receivers that I like, one has an ADP of 140, one has an ADP of 160. Well, the guy with with an ADP of 140 is not coming back next round. The one with an ADP of 160 might come back next round. So if I like that player with the ADP of 160 a little bit better, then the player with an ADP of 140, it's still not worth taking when you consider I'm giving up a ton of ADP value with the pick itself, the opportunity cost. And I've also prevented myself from getting even further ADP value in 
the next round and possibly getting both of these receivers. So you want to take some of those gambles. And by having the ranks adjusted for ADP, um, it helps people kind of consciously, subconsciously like do that. I personally even factor in the ADP a little bit more than our pure ranks do. Um, essentially what I'm doing with our ranks, I do think it's important to have player takes. Like you, I don't like, I think what's crazy is this ADP value stuff in the EV is just, if you did ADP value, now imagine if you use ADP value in a smart way, but you also use your understanding and, you know, hopefully a little bit of an edge on the market in terms of pure player takes too. And you combine that it's huge. So I like to kind of look at like the top 10 to 15 names. I'll scroll through. I'm not going to be, you know, forebode into the rankings. Like I'm not just going to blindly follow the top one or two, three names. Uh, I'm going to think a little bit now. The purpose of the rankings is I'm probably not going to scroll down past the top 15. And even within position, I might look at the top five. So I need a wide receiver in this draft. I'll scroll down, kind of get and see if there's anybody that's falling that we really don't like. So you can see Alec Pierce is kind of the main guy that's falling. He's got an ADP of 144, but he's so far down our rankings, not even in the top 10 wide receivers on the board. That That's not someone that I'm going to pick. Um, if he was up higher on the rankings, I might consider it. Or if his ADP was like 120, maybe I would consider it here. Uh, I'm probably going to take DJ Chark. He's the top of our rankings. He's got an ADP of 150. The other top guys kind of percolating on the ranks, Nico Collins, ADP of 149. KJ Osborne, 144. Uh, the, they're up there. But Osborne, again, I talk about closing line ADP value. His value has been tanking as people have made adjustments for Jordan Addison. So it's 144 now, but it's going in the wrong direction. And I don't have him at the top of my ranks. It's only an opportunity cost of like seven spots of ADP value between him and Chark. Not a huge deal. Probably not going to take him. You know, if his ADP was like 125, at that point, I'd probably take the 25 spots of ADP value and take him over DJ Chark, even if our ranks had an opposite. So I want to look at the top, top 10 or so. And then also I want to consider like the onesie positions where again, we might be deviated from the market and you got to read your room a little bit there. I'm okay. Sacrificing. It's kind of like, where can I sacrifice ADP value? You know, the least at the onesie position. So for me, I know our ranks are in general, I think we're a little bit lower on quarterbacks than the market is. So I'm okay. Kind of feeling my way through a draft, taking a quarterback, at their ADP, even if it's not super good in our ranks, especially if it's correlated. So you can see here, I took Geno Smith at pick 100, even though his ADP is 108. Definitely wasn't our top ranked quarterback. Is a negative ADP value, but I do have Kenneth Walker on the team. He's got an ADP of 34. I got him at pick 52. So I got 18 spots of ADP value there at a critical juncture. You know, his ADP has fallen since, but it's still positive ADP value. Similarly, Tyler Lockett. His ADP 69. I got him pick 76. So I'm going to correlate that. That's kind of, and I, I did a similar thing with Russell Wilson. You know, I got Cortland Sutton at pick 93. His ADP is 95.1. So right around at ADP. And that's, that's pretty good, especially for a player that we're above ADP on. So like we like him better than his ADP a decent bit. And then later in, so then I get Russ Wilson right at ADP. So I'm kind of neutral, which is pretty good. Like most, the average team is going to have negative ADP value overall. I should note that out. So like if you're taking every player just at value, 
and it's neutral and your ADP value is zero, that's actually better than the average team. The average team draft is going to have a negative ADP value. But um, did a similar thing with onesie position with Dulcich. You know, I don't have a ton of Dulcich, but he fell towards ADP. When I looked at the tight ends, he was like top three. Um, in our top three, he wasn't our top ranked tight end, but he was in our top three. And if I looked at ADP, the time I took him, he had the lowest ADP of the position and he was correlated. So it just made sense. So I took him there. So hopefully, you know, those examples give you sort of an idea of how to mix the established to run rankings, how to sort of think through potential closing line value, how to use the real time ADP value without going overboard, you know. In future episodes, I'm going to look at stacking, live players, different things like that. I think the next episode will probably be stacking because that's one people are really interested in. I might do that one after the full NFL schedule is released. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed you know, this first look at you know my best ball manifesto given on the podcast. Really appreciate it if you would check out the site and read the whole thing. It's, it's pretty in-depth, covers more than what I did here. Um, but I'll continue to try and give applications of it on Twitter and on this podcast. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, please give us a thumbs up, subscribe to us. It definitely helps us do content like this for free. And um, yeah, just appreciate everybody tuning in. It's going to be a really fun season.